0: The following is a production of JSC Media. Stay Stay ready. ready. You're listening to The People's Podcast.
1: I was honest. Was I brutally honest? Yes. Mm. But I think that that's the problem. Everybody's so scared to be honest with one another.
0: This is JSC Radio.
1: I never wanted to call myself a coach. I still kind of really don't call myself that, to be honest with you, because I think they're are a lot of negative associations with that word. Unfortunately, in today's day and age, there's a lot of scammy coaches out there. I've dealt with them. I've been like preyed upon by them. Uh, So I never wanted to be like that. It really came from people asking and me responding to them. Uh, I was essentially, I don't like to say forced, but essentially forced into being a coach because people <laughs> were asking so many questions and, and offering me their money.
0: That, well, yeah, that always helps. Right. And it, it, when it comes it comes from being as good as you are. <laughs> that's the best assessment of it. When you're that good, people are gonna come looking for advice.
1: But I, but I think that's important. I think it's important to not, again, it's hard because you do have to think about the money. I understand we all have to live, But you can't, especially when you're doing something like coaching where you're really trying to help people, you can't be looking at it as this big money-making scheme.
0: You're listening to The People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, hey now, my name is J. Scott Smith, and this is... Is the 109th episode of the People's Podcast. This is Jay. SC Radio, but you can also call it J Scott Confidential. How the hell's everyone doing? Welcome once again, my friends, to the podcast that never flipping ends. In fact, it just keeps evolving and getting bigger and bigger and bigger each week. I want to thank each and every one of y'all for supporting the 2020 season of J Scott Confidential, supporting us across all your different podcast providers, including Apple Podcasts, iTunes on SoundCloud and Stitcher. Don't forget, you can sign up to get Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcher.com slash premium and use that promo code JSC. Get you a free month of Stitcher Premium. You can listen on CastBox and TuneIn. On radio.com and iHeartRadio. You can listen on Player FM and, of course, on spotify as well as pod chaser and every other podcast app you could think of don't forget to hit us up on the youtube page bit.ly slash jsc tube we've got now we're now up on the YouTube page, we've got clips of episode 108 where we talked to Stephanie Humphrey where she couldn't have been more awesome. I want to thank Steph again for coming through for episode 108. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can follow me, the show's host on social media, at J. Scott Smith. That's J-A-Y. S-C-O, two T's, S-M-I-T-H. Same thing goes on Instagram. On Facebook, I am real J. Scott Smith because I am original. By the way, I am verified on Twitter and on Facebook. For whatever reason, Instagram is hella stingy with those blue check marks. The show is also on Instagram at JSC Radio, where you can also check out clips of the show, best of clips of this show on IGTV. Damn it. So follow JSC Radio on Instagram, JSC Radio on Twitter, and JSC Radio on Facebook. I want to shout out my man, Doc Illingsworth. Yes, you heard the name. Doc Illingsworth. Exactly. As he's going to be out starting next month in April, he's going to be out and about on the Dusty Midwest Tour. You heard me, the Dusty Midwest Tour. He's going to be out there with homeboy Sandman. He's going to be all over the Midwest, and I do mean all over the Midwest. This is a big deal for this dude. He's been doing the music on this show for hell, for pretty much since the beginning. For the last four years, this man has been doing it and he's one of the best in the business in making beats. The, the tour actually starts on April 16th in Morgantown, West Virginia, near the campus of West Virginia University. It'll hit Pittsburgh, Columbus, Cincinnati, Cleveland. It'll be in Detroit at the Deluxe Flux. Yes, that's right in the Motor City in Chicago, Milwaukee, Green Bay, Green Bay. He's gonna be out there in Green Bay, Minneapolis, Kansas City, and it ends on April 29th. In St. Louis. The link to get ticket information will be in the description of this podcast as well as on the YouTube video. I think I might actually have to holla at him when I'm in Pittsburgh, but that's for neither here nor there. Of course, I want to also shout out my man, Awesome Jones, who handles the theme song to this podcast. It's called Blue Chucks. I want to shout out the man, Awesome Jones. I want to big up my man, Chef K. Dot, also out of the Motor City. You'll hear some of his beats coming up later on in this show as well. And speaking of the Motor City, Let's just get right down to it, shall we? We're not wasting any time here, damn it. Let's bring on our guest for episode 109, and her name, Miss Latasha James. She's a marketing strategist, digital content creator, and, as we'll find out during the show, reluctantly, a coach. She's worked in house for nonprofit organizations, tech startups, and multiple. Fortune 500 companies. By the way, have I mentioned she's only 27 years old? She started freelancing a few years into her video, film, and media studies career. She has a degree from Western Michigan University, and she now owns her own marketing company called James and Park. But there's so much more to her. But most importantly, she has become a force, an absolute force as an entrepreneur. And of course, right now, that company is based in the motor city where I grew up, Detroit, Michigan, and that's where we get started. This is the 109th episode of the People's Podcast. This is J. Scott Confidential, better known as JSC Radio, and let's get down to business as we get into a conversation that I had with the one and the only awesome Latasha James. Let's get to it. This is a presentation of JSC Media. It is a pleasure to have you on here, Latasha. I've admired the work that you've done. Being able to kind of jump into this space and kind of start your own business, I find people like you inspiring because I haven't made it a secret. (laughs) This podcast has kind of turned into its own thing in terms of juggling a business. And turning it into my speaking engagements and my work with everything else. But when I look around, I always look for people who have been successful. And your story is so interesting because you've always kind of been a bit of a hustler. So I guess before we go delving into all the details about you, what was the thing, the first thing that gave you kind of the, what what was the the, uh, entrepreneurial bug that first bit you out of everything you've done?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think that I've kind of always been a little bit entrepreneurial, to be honest with you. I mean, when I think about the things that my sister and I would play, we would play radio host, we would play, this is so uh-huh. funny, but I I would love to play, pretend that I was an infomercial host. That was like my dream job when I was like seven. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it was about infomercials that I loved. So yeah, I mean, I've always kind of around with those things. I mean, I think my first real endeavor was writing. So I've kind of always had a blog. I mean, I started on LiveJournal and Zanga. I don't know if you can remember those.
0: (laughs) My first blog was actually on Zanga. And for those who are kind of new to this podcast, the name Jay Scott Confidential comes from the blog that I started in 2003 on Zanga. And that's the one thing that endured through all this time. I guess the bloggers turned into podcasters in the last 15 years.
1: Yep, and YouTubers, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I always had a live journal and a Zanga and then a blog blog spot or blogger, whatever it was called. So yeah, definitely writing. And then that's where it kind of turned into a paid hustle is I got my first writing job on Upwork when I was in college and it was for this education blog. It was just like, you kind of write about whatever topic you were interested in or you were studying. It was really just a super side hustle for college students, really. I was making $20 an article, so pretty much nothing but when you're in college (laughs) it was really nice to have an extra 20 or 100 bucks every week so yeah that was my first paid hustle really was was freelance writing
0: now to backtrack a little bit you like you like me we're both from the state of michigan both from the midwest you're currently in the motor city right now working but you weren't born in the city of detroit where where were you originally born
1: so I was born in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which to non-Michiganders, they're like, what? Um, it's the little area of land above the, the part of the state that looks like a mitten. So there's really no reason to go up there. Uh, ah. unless you really like snow and wildlife, I mean, it's super beautiful, but there's not a lot of people up there. There's like one college or, you know, one major university up there. Uh, so, yeah, that's where I was born, um, out in the wilderness, in the boonies.
0: We're in the, we're in the U.P. In Marquette, the, we're, only we're the, the only major city up there, Marquette. It's a, yeah. And yet, for, yeah, for those who are kind of uninitiated, you everyone knows the Mitten part of Michigan where Detroit and Ann Arbor and Lansing, East Lansing. Then there's that little arm that kind of hangs over that's attached to Wisconsin and Canada. I've I've only been to the UP twice, yeah. once to cover a basketball game, and that was at Northern Michigan University. No, Lake Superior State. Oh, okay. It was cool. Lake Superior State because we went to Sault Ste. Marie. This shows you how long ago it was. Yeah. and. Yeah, it is nothing but wilderness. It's like going into Alaska. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like not even joking. I know there are like moose and bears oh, and yeah. everything up yeah. there.
1: Yeah, so it's funny because so my mom was born up there as well. She's a Uper, is what we call them. My dad's from Baltimore, and so he was like a fish out of water in the UP because there was an Air Force base up there at the time, and he was in the Air Force. So that's how they met and had me.
0: And it turned out pretty well. Now, you you were born in the UP. You didn't stay there too long, though.
1: No, just a couple of years. I moved to Kalamazoo. So my dad, after the Air Force, he wanted to go to college. And so he went to Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, Michigan. So that's downstate. It's like two hours from Detroit. And that's where I grew up.
0: And so you grew up in Kalamazoo. I, I know a lot. in um, there's, a, there's a lot of like the aerodynamic stuff is out there in West Michigan. Mm-hmm. An hour and a half or so east of Chicago. It's kind of in this cool yep. – this kind of cool – little spot in West Michigan what was it like growing up in Kalamazoo I've been out there a few times but I know it's a different it's a slightly different way of life from people in say Southeast Michigan I know
1: absolutely I loved growing up there I don't think I realized how much I loved growing up there until I moved uh I know it gets kind of a bad rap now that I'm in Detroit everyone's like oh you're from the west side of the state and people kind (laughs) of make you know people make fun of it whatever Um, it's definitely not the big city life that it is in Detroit, but it, I loved it because it was a good mix of city. You know, I lived right downtown Kalamazoo. Uh, it was a college town. So there was a lot of like diversity, lots of different cultures and people in the city, which was really nice. We weren't in this like suburban, um, I don't know, just place where everybody was the same and all the houses looked the same. Like there was still a lot going on really great local music scene, local art scene. We were always going to art shows and art galleries and like street performers downtown. So it was a really fun place to grow up. It really was.
0: So you grew up in Kalamazoo, you went to Western Michigan University, so you stayed home for college and everything. You were dedicated in there. As as a kid, I, I know that this sort of thing, and I've got, and what I've read up on you too, as a kid, you, you had that you had that like that itch to create things and you had a bunch of different interests growing up what were some of the interests you had growing up as you were a self-professed nerd of sorts (laughs) Uh, those of us nerds all we all get along that's why that's what we end up we ended up doing podcasts and things of that nature all of us get along so well what was it like for you growing up as a nerd in west michigan
1: oh yeah i mean i think my first love is music. It was music. My family is very artistic. My grandfather, he made fiddles, like he handmade fiddles of, and he played like every instrument, you know, my grandma too. She's a wonderful singer. She plays guitar. And yeah, so my family is very musical. My mom is a visual artist. She's a, she draws and paints and things like that. Uh, So yeah, always loved the arts in general. And so that's really what my first blog was about. I would say if I had to categorize it, it was about music. I would review music that I was listening to, shows that (laughs) I went to. I mean, whatever my version of a review was at the time. But it's really just about the things that were inspiring me. And then I actually went to school for film, took my first film class in high school. We had a really great arts program in my, you know, I went to public school within you got to do like a trade, um, your last year of school. And I chose to learn film and video. And so that's what I ended up majoring in, in college as well. So I think that was kind of my second love is creating because I mean, I tried music. I played drums when I was in middle school. I learned piano. I I can play like I have a piano or a keyboard that I play, but I'm not I'm not brilliant. Okay. Like that's, that's not well, I, I,
0: I think I, I think we would dispute you not being brilliant, but the <laughs> but being able to handle the yeah. the piano thing. anybody who can even go a couple of a couple of chords on a piano is far superior to me than anything I can think of. Yeah. And when you got to uh now you and you started doing the blog when you were in high school. Mm-hmm. And when you got to college, it became kind of the it evolved as all yeah. these blogs tend to do. It evolved into the side hustle. What was that? What was that initial side hustle for you?
1: Well, it was actually, so, I mean, the blog kind of stayed just a lifestyle arts culture kind of blog, I guess you could say in, in through college where it really started to become monetized. So there's two ways I did the freelance writing, which was like a separate blog, but just based off of my skills as off of running my own blog and then the the big monetization came from starting a YouTube channel. So I was getting a lot of questions from other you know people who read my blog saying, "Hey, you talked about this thing that you wore or whatever this outfit that you put together whatever it was." Uh, give us more information or how do you, how are you doing your makeup or your hair or whatever it was? And those are things that are really hard to write about, at least for me. So I was like, you know what, let me just show people. So I started to do makeup tutorials and makeup videos and fashion videos and things like that. And uh, yeah, that I mean, that's not at all what I do videos about now, but that's where I really discovered my love for YouTube and creating videos, video content for myself. And I started to see film and video as a career pathway. That wasn't what I was learning about in school of working on a traditional set or doing music videos or anything like that. I saw kind of creation and becoming a content creator being a reality.
0: And that's interesting when you talk about like YouTube, because I know YouTube is one of the things that, that a lot of people expand into guilty. (laughs) I have slowly started expanding into, into YouTube. What, when you first got in on that, because that was more of like the ground floor, the early days of YouTube, the OG YouTubers were out there kind of making that happen. I guess for someone who, whether they're trying to monetize it now or they've had one for a while, what was your approach to kind of getting it out there? Because so much of it I know is word of mouth. But after that, there's a certain point where you're able to hit certain things and really have it take off.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, I didn't know you could monetize it in the beginning, the first a little bit you know the first few months i had no idea that was a thing i was doing it like i said because my readers the few of them that were out there were <laughs> ever asking for things and and it was just really fun for me it was a fun community and a different way to connect with people that i just wasn't getting from blogging so that's that's that is honestly i know it's so cliche to say but you kind of can't think about the monetization necessarily as being the only goal or the major goal because i was making I mean it was terrible when i look back at it now but for the time it was good content and i was being real and authentic and all that good stuff um from there i did start to study a lot on youtube seo which is you know it's it's seo so youtube is the second biggest search engine on the web so learning how to title your videos appropriately and fill out the description box and metadata all that stuff has you know especially when you're starting out and you don't have an audience that's the main way that we're going to be building your audience because People have to find your content.
0: Exactly. So, yeah. No, I and I get that. And you pick things up quickly, from what I'm, from what I've gathered, from what I've seen of you. What was it that you initially saw yourself doing when you get out of college?
1: Mm. Well, uh, yeah, I mean at what stage of my life do you wanna know this? Cause I feel what? like I've had a million different dream jobs. <laughs>
0: well, we can, let's start at the youngest point, maybe high school, going into college. What was your, uh, when, when you graduated from high school, what did you initially see yourself doing?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I always saw myself working in the media somehow. So I wanted to work in, I was actually really active politically. I still like love politics. And so I saw myself doing new media, as it was called back then, which is just media now.
0: For the exactly. Most part, uh,
1: doing some type of, you know, creating videos for campaigns or something like that. Um, once I got into college, I actually started really loving the newsroom stuff. So I never saw myself being on camera ever in my life until I was forced to do it for school. And I loved it. That's and usually it was,
0: how it ends up going. Yeah. Uh, from experience. Yeah. I, I was in radio for a reason. I was definitely afraid of the camera I, it took me yeah. years to get accustomed to being in front of a camera so I understand how that goes
1: Mm-hmm. yeah so I never I mean I'm I'm actually very introverted and I was super shy I'm not shy anymore but I was very shy growing up so yeah it was surprising that I liked that but that's kind of all throughout college I was like okay I'm gonna try to get a job in the news and that was kind of my thing and I didn't do that at all
0: So, (laughs) you didn't do that at all. You shifted more toward the business end. Yeah. And when you graduated from college, you went more into the corporate side of things. So what was that experience like for you and how did it lead you to the Motor City?
1: I was freelancing all throughout college and that freelance hustle of doing the blogs that had grown throughout college too. I did like videos for local authors and just projects here and there. So I continued to do that. I had an internship as well. Once that ended, I freelanced full time for a short period of time. It was like a few months after I graduated college, but a short period of time where I was making it. I mean, I was terrified, but I was freelancing full time. (laughs) I was getting by and I started to really see it as a potential career path, but I felt like that wasn't the right thing to do. I, I felt like I got this degree. Let me see what is out there in the corporate world. Understandably. So started, Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really glad that I did. Um, I'm really glad that I worked in a day job as well. So anyway, I ended up just applying for jobs all over. I had started dating a guy who lived out here in Detroit. So I, I actually saw Detroit for the first time because as a lot of Michiganders know like Detroit has been through a lot of change over the years. And I think, um, a lot of people didn't go to detroit very often like it wasn't a huge destination for people or at least we didn't see it in the authentic way like you see what the news says about detroit and it Uh, it makes you not want to go when there's really so much cool stuff here
0: it's um and this could be a part of an even longer conversation we can have aside from this, and I say this as the guy who grew up in Detroit, born and raised in the city. Everybody knows I was born and raised in the city. I don't exactly hide it. That assessment is about as good as you can possibly explain for those who may not quite get it. In Michigan, Detroit has always been, it's been this odd position of where we're both the biggest and most well-known city. And we're also treated like the redheaded stepchild and blamed for a lot of the state's problems, which it's led to a very acrimonious relationship that we have, especially in West Michigan, West Michigan and Detroit have legendarily had this thing. That's a Michigan history lesson. I probably will go into it. A blog, <laughs> not a blog, but a, <laughs> see, you got me thinking blogs now and a podcast at a different right. time. But What you said there is very true. And we've seen a lot of an influx of people coming into the city. I'm one of those people who has zero issue with that. Please come back. I was there in the eighties and nineties when everybody left. When you got there, having been in West Michigan, and really seen Detroit for the first time, what was your impression of it?
1: I loved it. I thought it was so cool. I mean, I I thought it was awesome. I didn't know that something like that existed in Michigan. Like I said, I mean, Detroit is it's the biggest city in Michigan. There's not really anywhere else that you can compare it to in Michigan. And I, I did live in D.C. for a very brief time um, in between high school and college. And so I actually see a lot of parallels between DC and Detroit. It gives me a very similar vibe and I loved it. I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> D-
0: Detroit. Yeah. Detroit has a lot of those between DC, Philadelphia really yeah. reminds me of Detroit. I, I say that a lot too, is that Philly's the first city that's reminded me of home mm-hmm. where I got there, everything from the people to the vibe of the energy. Now there's more people in Philadelphia, but the, but the vibe and everything else is so much like home. Yep. I, it's always interesting when I hear that because I know people come into the city and they have their own preconceived notions, yeah. and when you get there, you're working for that. You you said you've worked for multiple Fortune 500 companies. Like, what was that like coming in there, college graduate, yuck, still young? What am I thinking? Yeah. Young, still young. You hit the big city of Detroit. What was that experience like on the business aspect of it, and learning to work and kind of finding yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a great experience. I got my first job and learned a ton just about. I mean, I've I've always worked. I got a job as soon as I possibly could when I was 14 or 15. So it's not like I was new to working. But working in corporate America definitely was a new thing. I mean, learning how, it's so silly, but like learning how to use a fax machine. I mean, those little things <laughs> that you're like, what am I doing? So, yeah, it was a great experience working in corporate, honestly. I My first job I loved, I was working with a lot of people who were similar stages of life as I was, a lot of other people who were kind of fresh out of college, getting their first experience in the corporate world. So that was great. Um, again, I was still always side hustling, you know, moonlighting on the side, working for different companies when I could and when I had time to. And then I moved to a different company and got a job that was more in my desired field that was you know, directly doing social media management. And that was great as well. I had a lot of responsibility. I learned a ton of skills. It was a much more isolating role, I think, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I was the youngest person in my department um, by far. So I didn't really have anyone to really relate with in that way. Uh, and then also we worked from home a lot, which was like a blessing and a curse, because that's one of the big reasons that you work in an office is so you can have that sense of community. And I think when you lose that, it can sometimes be a little bit of a challenge. So
0: I definitely get that. And once you, But once you got there, you became very comfortable. You were able to kind of get settled into kind of the, the atmosphere and, and everything around there. When it comes to social media, for example, and I know that has become maybe the most important thing in business. Mm-hmm. Is not just managing social media, understanding your branding on social media, knowing that you're, as I talked with Stephanie Humphrey last week, understanding who you are and the person you are as the, that's presented on social media. Working in that aspect of it, what do you see in terms of growing businesses and the importance of? really speaking as someone who's worked as a social media manager, the importance of social media from a business standpoint. We talked about the personal standpoint last episode for the business aspect of it. How important is social media now? And what can people do working in this in this side of the business that can help them get better?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly important. It's how a large percentage of people get the majority of their information nowadays. I mean, I, I think I, I had this conversation the other day and someone was like, should I even have a Facebook page anymore? Because organic reach is dead. It's it's hard for people to see you. And I kind of equated Facebook to the yellow, the yellow pages of yesterday. Uh, it's, if I can't find something on Facebook or Instagram, I'm not going to purchase from them nine times mm. out of 10. I mean, it's a, it kind of helps validate you and tell your story and help people understand who you are. So I, I definitely am not one of those marketers who is going to say that social media is everything because the old school is still very real. And I think a lot of people make the mistake of not paying attention to the old school stuff, go, taking it back to basics, like having good customer service and, you know, having paper marketing materials and things like that still matter to some extent. But it definitely um, has a play. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear that.
0: Awesome. <laughs> it's a few dogs chiming in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: um, but yeah, it definitely, it definitely matters. And especially when it comes to your target audience. So depending on who your target audience is, if they're young, they're millennials, Gen Z, you have to be on social for sure. But but not just them either. I mean, boomers are on social media more than ever now as well. So um,
0: yeah. The Gen, the Gen Xers are, are they, we always talk about the Gen Xers. We're kind of the ones who invented a lot of this stuff, but <laughs> it's just like, we're yeah. kind of stuck. Because I'm on that weird cusp of I'm either the oldest millennial or the youngest Gen Xer. I'm kind of sitting right on that borderline at 40 years old. Yep. And it's like, what are, and it's funny. It's a good thing that you bring that up because I've always been big about demographics, understanding your audience from working in radio yep. and in podcasting. That is a thing that you brought up is getting and understanding your audience. I've sat I've sat in rooms with program directors at radio stations. And this is when I'm in my mid-20s. This is 14, 15 years ago. I'm in there in my mid-20s and I'm telling somebody at a particular radio station in Detroit that's geared more toward old school music. I won't put them out there on blast like that, but I said to them is that probably within the next three to five years, you guys are gonna have to start, and maybe sooner than that, you're gonna have to start thinking about adding more hip hop to your content because your listener base between 25 and 54, a majority of them are 25 to 40. 40 years old in 2006, I was born in 1966. That means I was a teenager in the early 80s, and the kind of music that I was listening to as a teenager that may fit. But right. if I'm 30 years old in 2006, when I was a teenager, that was the mid 90s, early 90s, where mm-hmm. we're now going into a lot of rap music, a lot more everything from LO Cool J and WA's. And I just suggested that because it's like if your audience changes, your audience is going to get younger, your music is going to skew younger. Yeah. You need to get in front of that. And I got laughed out of the room
1: mm-hmm.
0: two, two years later. I look up on the radio station and they're playing Tupac all of a sudden there because (laughs) they suddenly had the come to Jesus meeting that you have to know your audience. And that is that's so key. And to hear that on social media where like these days, I know TikTok has become a thing where Mm -hmm. that is like the big thing. I don't get it, but I respect it because I understand that's where things are headed. You look at some of these different social media platforms. What do you feel are the most important ones? Facebook, you just mentioned, is like the yellow pages. What about ones like Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Tumblr is still floating around out there, all these Mm -hmm. different ones. What are your thoughts on those?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, again, it depends on who your audience is. Right now, and the one that you didn't mention that I think a lot of people forget about is LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn Exactly. (laughs) Yep, LinkedIn is really- uh, I think it's it's having its moment, if you will, right now for a lot, of, a lot of people. They've expanded a lot of their features. You can do videos on there now. It's not just the boring, stuffy, essentially a resume like it used to be. It's becoming a lot more social. So definitely if you're in any kind of B2B business where you're selling to other business owners or, you know, working with other business owners, networking with other business owners, LinkedIn is definitely a great place to be. Uh, so that's my personal favorite right now. I'm all about LinkedIn. Instagram as well is more of a branding play. So I think a lot of people get on Instagram and are like, okay, are are we going to see a million sales come through tomorrow? And that's just not how Instagram really works. I mean, it does somewhat if you're an e-commerce brand, because again, they've come out with a lot of great new features for e-commerce, shoppable posts and things like that, which you can actually buy things directly through Instagram now, which is amazing, but for most of us who have more personal brands or service based brands where you really need to kind of build up a relationship, it's more of a branding thing. So I'm letting you know who I am. And over time, we're developing this relationship. And here we are. You know,
0: so I know that definitely makes sense. And LinkedIn, I've seen that become more. It's almost like being a kind of a business mixer of sorts. Yeah. Where you can get there because I've started to put some of the podcast stuff onto LinkedIn yeah. and that gets it in front of eyes of people who are in the business and mm-hmm. can actually really show your skills. You've managed to do this, and you're navigating into a world like every business world. You deal with things when being being young, being a woman, being attractive. I know that you also have learned to deal with probably people either under, underestimating your ability because of your youth or people trying to take advantage of you. I know for all the positives that you've had, what have been some of the things that you've run into that have not been good experiences or things that could have been better? And yeah, obviously we live in a in a Me Too world, in a world where a lot of a lot of dudes are dealing with reckonings for <laughs> mistreating women. Yeah. In public and in the boardroom, what have you run into and what have you seen in your assessment in part being in this business world?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a very real thing. I mean, my first Me Too moment was my first job ever when I was 15. So I mean, oh, yeah, for sure. Um, What
0: happened at 15?
1: um, I was working and I don't want to like I've never talked about this, so a lot of people Probably can figure out who they were, who my first job was. We don't need to put I the name out there. Out. Um, but yeah, no, I was 15. I got a job in a kitchen, you know, working in a really high-end kind of restaurant. And uh, my manager, like, slapped my butt with, a like, a towel or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, when I was 15. So that was like, you know, for, so it's for, so like 15, working experience.
0: So you, so you're welcomed and I, and please don't think I'm laughing, trying to make no. a joke, make light of this, but at 15 years old, you're just basically welcomed right on in with a dude slapping oh, yeah. you, slapping you on the ass with a towel. Like you're in a locker room.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I've had many moments. I, I mean, I think that was the only physical moment to be fair. Um, but sure. I've had plenty of like weird, creepy comments over the years and, to be honest with you, that's one of the big reasons why I've always wanted to work my for myself. I am, I'm a Taurus and I'm like very stubborn and very, I was always taught to stand up for myself and to not take crap from anybody. And like, I've never, I don't care if you're my boss or whoever you are, I don't accept that. Uh, so I knew that the sustainability of working for me, unfortunately, I'm, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that that is the truth for a lot of people, but I just kind of knew I didn't want to be at somebody else's mercy or at the mercy of having to bite my tongue, you know, ever. I wanted to be able to stand up for myself and just be my own boss, to be honest with you.
0: It cuts down on a lot of the BS you have to deal with when you're the one who is signing the checks and doing everything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so wild because, like, I, I wanted to do my own thing to get out from underneath some of the, just some of the nonsense and bullshit that goes on in these companies where they talk to you in a sort of way or Mm -hmm. where they can kind of steer a creative direction wherever they want it to go, even if it's nonsensical. Mm -hmm. It's kind of messed up to think about one other reason that a lot of women will want to work for themselves is to avoid the creep shows in the office. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the creeper in the office is the guy sitting at the biggest possible desk.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, that's not to say that I haven't experienced things as an entrepreneur as well. I mean, you, you spoke to my age, I, I don't know, I think I have a perceived age that's younger than I am as well, which is something that I have to deal with sometimes, which isn't fair either. Like you shouldn't treat people badly because they're young, but exactly. I definitely have experienced that as well and kind of doubting my worth or doubting my expertise and things like that. So not to say it doesn't exist as an entrepreneur but the thing is I have the power as an entrepreneur to say okay I don't have to work with that client again or uh, you know uh, we can end this contract if if I need to walk away I have the power and I've set myself up in a position where I can walk away from contracts and I'm not gonna be worrying about you know again being at somebody else's mercy so How,
0: how often have you had to do that
1: Um, just a handful of times. Just a handful of (laughs) times. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not very often. Typically, it's let me finish the work, and now I know I probably will not work with that person again.
0: And that's really the unfortunate thing about her having to start her own business is that's the way she gets to avoid and not have to deal with some of these creep shows running around in these boardrooms and these offices. But as you heard, she ain't here to take nobody's shit. And if it means she'll get rid of the contract, she ain't got no problem getting rid of you because another train is coming right down the tracks. And coming up after this, speaking of tracks, before I go into this, speaking of tracks, you heard him on episode 108. My man Chef K Dot always got something cooking up in the kitchen in the motor city. He dropped a few tracks on me. Of course, got nothing but love from a man Doc illingsworth But I've told y'all, if you've got music and you want to get it on this podcast. I ain't got no problem playing you. My man, Chef K. Dot, out of the Motor City, is doing just that. Coming up after this, Latasha will talk about some of her struggles she's had in mental health, plus how she's maintaining sobriety and fighting through addiction issues as well. Told y'all, it gets deep here. My man, Chef K. Dot, will take you into the break. My name's J. Scott Smith, and this is episode 109 of J. Scott Confidential, better known as JSC Radio. We'll be back with more of Latasha James after this. You're listening to The People's Podcast.
1: I'm not going to be responsible for what happens next.
0: This is JSC Radio. Hey now, J. Scott Smith here. Of course, you know, I am the host of JSC Radio, which you have heard on Stitcher from the very beginning. Because in case a lot of you don't remember, Stitcher was the first major podcast platform to pick up my show. And now they want to give something back to each and every one of you listeners on Stitcher. Introducing Stitcher Premium. You can listen to some of your favorite shows ad-free, mind you with Stitcher Premium for only $4.99 a month or, if you prefer, $34.99 a year. You can get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and so much more. Listen to shows like the Fantasy Footballers ad-free, or you can get shows like Dunk on Basketball and, of course, JSC Radio. Simply go to Stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today. That's Stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today, and when you go there, drop in the promo code. JSC we can get you one free month of Stitcher Premium don't ever say I ain't do nothing for y'all remember it's stitcher.com premium to sign up today and get one month free by dropping that promo code JSC it's just that simple baby get on Stitcher Premium right now and you can get the best in podcasting
1: man do I love card nights
0: You ready, boys? You got a king?
1: Go fish, dad! Oh,
0: come on!
1: (laughs) This is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov.
0: Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. You're listening to The People's Podcast. You can't say F you to your granddaughter. I just did, Morty. Here's dessert. F*** you. This is JSC Radio. Don't hate the player, hate the game, son.
1: I posted a video a few weeks ago about how to become a social media manager. And one of the questions that I saw underneath that video was, hey, can I be a freelancer and replace my full-time job income, specifically if I'm making six figures at my day job, which I thought was a really good question. So let's talk about how much social media managers make. I'm gonna share some of my own experience, but I'm also gonna go off like some data and research that I've done, a little bit of anecdotes, a little bit of data, A lot of fun. (laughs) Okay, so I went ahead and went on Glassdoor. There's lots of other places that you can look. There's PayScale. LinkedIn has a salary estimator as well. But anyway, on Glassdoor, the average base pay for a social media manager across the United States was about $50,000 $50,473. I would say that that sounds about right. That is about what my first full time social media management job paid me. But one thing to keep in mind here is location. Well, two things to keep in mind here, location and this is a salary estimator. This is for a full-time in-house social media management job. Now, you can see different pay rates for different reasons. Uh, In addition to location, whether you're working at an agency or you're working for a brand in house, those rates are gonna be a little bit different. Whether you're at a large company, a small company, all of those things are obviously gonna be different.
0: This is episode 109 of the People's Podcast. This is J. Scott Confidential, better known as JSC Radio. Welcome back. Jay Scott Smith here. Want to thank y'all for supporting this show once again across all your favorite podcast providers, whether it's Apple Podcasts, iTunes, on SoundCloud or Stitcher, on Castbox or TuneIn, Radio.com, iHeartRadio, PlayerFM, and of course on the Spotify. Also want to shout out all of you who've checked out the show on YouTube. That's YouTube. Remember, remember it's on YouTube, bit.ly slash JSC2. We're also on Amazon because if you are a DIY podcaster like me and you don't have the fancy studios and the equipment and all the sort of bells and whistles that a lot of podcasters have, you're trying to do this thing on the dolo for real, hit up my Amazon page at amazon.com slash shop slash J. Smith. We'll, we can get you set up and podcasting in no time. Got, ma- We've got microphones, we've got recorders, we've got laptops, we've even got Adobe Audition subscriptions on the page. You can get subscribed to Adobe Audition for as little as $20 a month. Just go to amazon.com slash shop slash JSC radio. The link's also in the description. would greatly appreciate it if you came through and checked it out. Before we jump back into this as well, I want to shout out Brooke Thomas from episode 105. Brooke Thomas had me on her podcast controlling our narrative last week. And we were talking all about the South Carolina primaries. We were talking about how Bernie supporters need to get their heads out of their asses and stop attacking Ava DuVernay. We want, uh, We talked about this crazy situation in Utah. It was really cool to be a guest for once. I want to shout out Brooke Thomas. She was on episode 105. You can go on to the YouTube page or just simply go through the archives for episode 105 and check out the conversation we had with her. And I'm shouting out Monique Judge, who was also a guest on that podcast, working on getting her on here for a future episode. So let's get back to the current episode. And that's our conversation with Latasha James. We'll pick things up as she talks about a situation that she ran into that really caused a tailspin in her life. She went through some serious mental health struggles in the midst of building her young career and thinking about getting into the business. Let's head back into this conversation. I'm J. Scott Smith, and this is the 109th episode of the People's Podcast. This is J. Scott Confidential, and we continue our conversation with Latasha James. This is a presentation of J. S. C. Media. What was it that, and I and I've read this about you, and I and I would love for you to kind of expand upon it. You mentioned that a few years in, you experienced a tragedy and had an issue with your mental health. Mm-hmm. And mental health is such an important, it's a major subject these days because so many people are dealing with mental health issues. I have my issues with depression and anxiety that mm-hmm. I'm not ashamed, ashamed of talking about at all. And mm-hmm. you mentioned you've had a few things that happened to you but with whatever detail you choose to go into. Mm-hmm. What occurred and yeah were you able to come through out of come through that on the other side
1: yeah I mean, i've always had some struggles as well with anxiety and depression as well um also had some struggles with uh alcoholism my my father was a lifelong addict and i definitely inherited his disease i've been sober for four years uh so by choice i kind of like self-intervened it was like latasha you're out of control and so yeah i definitely struggled with that when i was younger and has always kind of been you know that's something that you never you never get over, you're not suddenly not you you know just totally okay um so yeah, that was definitely a thing, but I guess the major triggering incident for me was when my my father actually passed away, and my father, he was homeless, he was a lifelong addict, alcoholic, um and yeah, it was really tragic. he was fifty one when he died, so and he died in like the most tragic way that you could think of for a homeless person to die, which was outside, alone, on the day after Christmas. Wow. Um, yeah. So it was it was pretty rough. Um, and I think it just really forced me to, I mean, it, well, it sent me into a ma- major depressive episode and it had major anxiety, like the worst I've ever experienced, just having panic attacks all the time and anxiety-induced headaches all the time, and it, it was pretty much couldn't work. Luckily... My job was amazing. like they were super supportive and was like just don't you don't have to come in for as long as you want. you know they were super super accommodating, but even with that flexibility, it was just so much pressure to me to have to go on about life like everything was okay when I was dying on the inside. and uh, I, I felt like I couldn't really get a grip, get a grip on my own mental health because I had all these deadlines going on and all these obligations to other people. I couldn't even make appointments. Like I had health insurance and I didn't even have time to use the health insurance and go see a therapist, go see a doctor. Uh, So so yeah, I mean, that's kind of what made me, in addition to just the mental health, physical health, all the stuff that was going on with that, I also just realized life is really damn short. My dad was 51 and granted he lives a lifestyle that luckily I do not live. God willing, I will live much longer than that. But even still, like, oh my gosh, life is so short, you know? Like, I can't go another day feeling like I am not doing what I feel like I'm meant to do, or at least giving it a shot,
0: so. Oh, wow. Um, 51 years old, it's the, oh, that's so tough. What was your relationship like with your dad before all
1: that? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was not, um, it was distant, I guess you could say. I mean, it's very hard. I'm sure we all know and love somebody who has dealt with addiction, unfortunately. And it's very hard to have a consistent relationship with someone like that. So my dad and I loved each other very much. I never doubted that, but he was very, very ill. So he, you know, my mom and him split up when I was about seven. And so after that, it was like very inconsistent when I would see him in my adult life. I don't think I'd ever
0: spoken to him sober, like ever. Um, so, wow. yeah. Wow, it, it's it's just kind of mind blowing to think of the to to hear that and to see where you are and how you've persevered through that. Now you said you had your own issues with addiction as well. You said you kind of had to. You had the self mm-hmm. moment. What was the what was the the point where you just finally said, "All right, this shit ain't working. Let's I got to." I got to take control of this. Because not a lot of people can come to that, and I come yeah. from a family of addicts, Yeah, and not a lot of them can come to that, and where they just say, F it, we're, we're not doing this anymore. What was it mm-hmm. for you that finally got the, the switch turned?
1: Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I, I've i thought about this before, and I don't know that there was ever really a, like a rock bottom moment. I never got in trouble with the law, I never seriously hurt myself, you know, anything like that. So nothing really happened. I think that um, one, my body, like I'm a small person and my body couldn't <laughs> take it. I was already, I mean, I was like tw- in my early twenties, just struggling with like health things that I felt like, like I'm a little young for this. Maybe you shouldn't be boozing every day. <laughs> you would feel a little healthier. And also just having that example of my dad. I mean, they say when you have a parent or love someone who's an addict, you typically go one of two ways. You kind of follow their path or you do the exact opposite. And I think I always saw the position that he was in and was still in an okay enough state of mind to be able to like put A and B together. And I don't want to say that it's all about life choices because I'm very much a person who believes that addiction is a disease. It's, you know, it is, there, there are certain parts of it that are, um, biological, I guess you could say, and hereditary. Um, but there are choices also that are involved in managing that disease. So yeah, I think I just kind of self-intervened and was like, get it together.
0: What is uh, what is sobriety like for you?
1: I love it. I I mean, honestly, and I, and I don't like to push this on anybody. I'm not like, yeah, straight edge for life or anything <laughs> <laughs> like that. But um, I, when people ask me about success, business, whatever, honestly, I, for me personally, and what I, where I came from, I definitely wouldn't have been as successful if I was still drinking, but even addiction aside, even if I was just a normal person who could handle a few drinks once a week or whatever it was, I don't think I would be where I was without, you know, while doing that, because I remember what it's like to wake up and have a hangover and not want to <laughs> write a, a blog post or record a podcast interview or be on site for a client. Uh, you know, I remember what it's like spending a lot of time at the bar, even if you're not self-destructing. You're just, you know, doing. I mean, I, I, I have a lot more time and a lot more of a clear head uh, than
0: I ever had. So it's incredible that you've been able to to do that and be able to manage that and i mean there's no i mean i i don't i i barely drink as is but like i said i come from a family of addicts Mm -hmm. where there were drug addiction hard drug addiction has Mm -hmm. taken three of my cousins from me in the last decade Mm -hmm. it's not it's not the easiest thing i i barely drink Mm -hmm. but i had one of those moments where i was in my 20s and it's like okay i'm becoming a little too comfortable with this yeah this is starting to seem routine so now i have to break the routine. And you don't have to be hardcore, I'm straight edge, all this. other. <laughs> you don't have to do that. But like you said, yeah. it's about how you manage and how you maintain. And you've been able to be far more functional when you don't have that in your life, whether it's as a crutch or just as a fallback or a part of your regular, your regular daily rotation.
1: For sure. For sure. And I think not just the productivity levels either. I think just having a clear sense of self you know, I, I definitely used alcohol. As, it, it numbed me to so much pain and trauma that I was dealing with. And being able to work through those traumas and things like that with a clear head and be able to truly envision your future and, like, work on your goals and really do all that hard self-work, it all has to do with business. Like, it's very it's very hard to come from being really poor. P- people don't talk about this very often, but it's very hard come from being very poor to suddenly making even just a decent income that's like a really weird my sorry i don't know if i can swear but at least it's like a mind fuck <laughs> oh.
0: Oh, <laughs> ab- oh by the way please feel free yeah. <laughs> there's, yeah. the, there's, there's the, that parental advisory sticker is on this thing for a reason go for yeah. it, it yeah. it's the no it, it it does fuck with your head yeah it it's the weirdest thing the first time i like the first day I got on radio in 2005, I'm 26 years old. Lansing, Michigan's not exactly the biggest market in the world, Mm -hmm. but when you wanted to do this since you were five and you get into that microphone and that first time somebody recognizes you at a McDonald's or something like that, it's like, holy shit, man, (laughs) this is big, it's big. And when you start making money or having some sort of success or or some sort of profile, it does, it does mess with you a little. And I, I get that. I see that with you and th- and that'll bring me to this actually good, good setup on this. It brings you to this question. You started your own company. You went through the, just the terrible tragedy with your dad. You, you came through on the other side and you decided you were just going to quit this gig you had and start your own thing. So I got to ask, like, when did you just come? Had you wanted to always do that or or was that the moment we just said, like, fuck it, I'm gonna do it on my own and we're gonna do this? And once you set your mind to it, what was your process in making that happen?
1: Yeah, so I, like I said, I'd always been kind of side hustling, working with different clients on the side, and there was really no big objective with that. It wasn't like, oh, I wanna have this huge agency or anything, I, I didn't really know. It was just extra income and just, I liked it. I was getting more experience. I figured it's double the experience than, Uh, that can't hurt anything, right? So I was new to the city as well. I didn't have a ton of friends or anything like that here. So whatever, might as well have some productive hours. So I was building that business on the side. Um, And what I did and what I always recommend to people who are looking to build a business is take that side hustle money and save it. Don't touch it. Act like you are not even making it because I was making a salary in my corporate jobs that paid for my bills and all that kind of stuff the side hustle money was just pretty much put away for taxes and for whatever. I didn't know if I wanted to buy a house or buy a car or leave my day job. I didn't really know what that was going to be for. Um, so yeah. And, and also like morbidly, I was also knowing that I was going to have to eventually pay for my father's funeral. So that was also something, you know, that I was always saving for and planning for I'm his only daughter. So, um,
0: So you saw that coming a while back, a while back.
1: Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, So yeah, I was always saving money and then it was nice because it did make it when I did have to make that decision for myself, which was first and foremost, the reason why uh, I left my full-time gig, it was easy. I, I had some income coming in, I had savings, I had some clients already, so it wasn't the super hard transition.
0: So when did the idea for James and Park, and also could explain the name James and Park too, where did that come from?
1: Yeah. So the name, first of all, I, I keep saying I need to come up with a way cooler story for this because it's not very cool. Uh, James is my last name. Park is the street that I grew up on. There you (laughs) go. (laughs) Yeah, there's that. And speaking to your point of kind of circling back to what you asked about like being a woman and Uh, Honestly, I wanted a sort of androgynous name for my business. I didn't want people to instantly know that my name was Latasha James, which has a lot of comes with a lot of assumptions about my gender, about my race. Unfortunately,
0: that's that's a a very that's a very let's we keep it real here. That's a very black name. (laughs) It is. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's, a very, it's, a, it's a very black name. It's obvious that you're a yeah. black woman when I see a name like that. It's like, yeah. I, I say this as a guy who's, who spent his life as Jason Scott Smith. Yeah. I'm not, not pulling the third wall back. That's that the J Scott Smith. That's my actual name shortened up. And yeah. I've always had a, a racially ambiguous name. Yeah. Who, with the very, it's a very smart because I'm thinking like, who is the park? Is there a partner in this? Is there like a Korean guy or somebody <laughs> there, <It's> like a <laughs> it's like a tag team partner or something like that? But yeah. no, it's and that's that. You know what? I'll I'll come back to that. Yeah, you're a black woman. Yes, <laughs> and see you. It's clear. It's clear that you're you're definitely not you're definitely not white. Someone sees mm. you. You you have it. You have a name that's clearly black. You go. You go in these spaces. What is it like as a black woman? Not just a, as a woman of color, but as a black mm-hmm. woman in yeah. these spaces. And when you go into dealing, doing business, and dealing with these people, what has that been like for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, luckily I live in Detroit.
0: <laughs> so right in the world, damn it.
1: <laughs> yep, exactly. So so yeah, I mean, th- that's honestly another thing that I love about Detroit is the amazing community of black folks here, which my hometown as well, like I said, it's very diverse. It's not like there are no black people in Kalamazoo, but there's no place like Detroit. So I feel very at home here. I feel very welcome here for the most part. Uh, I will say, (laughs) I don't know, most of my clients, to be honest with you, are all over the world. I have clients in Finland, clients in Paris parents parents <laughs> clients all over <laughs> parents all over I have clients all over the, the world so I actually don't really interact with a lot of uh, American companies to be honest with you um, yeah most of my clients are all over so uh, they know me before they hire me because of my content on the internet so I feel like because of that a lot of those biases are not such an Issue, uh, you know, it's not like you're calling up this marketing agency and have no idea who's going to walk into the room. You know exactly who's going to walk into the room. You like that person, uh, so yeah. I mean, of course, have I dealt with microaggressions and like little things like that here and there? Yes, of course. But I think for the most part, people know exactly what they're getting, and it's luckily not really an issue.
0: That that really, it, it's it's kind of heartening to hear that, and at the same time, understanding that so often. It's funny. That's like a thing with Detroit is that we tend to do really well overseas. Like, like the, it's about something it. about it. It's uh, so many of these Detroit based businesses do so well internationally. I look at the, 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 the algorithm. I get the readout every few days about this podcast. I have just as many listeners in the UK, in Germany in Canada, mm-hmm. and Canada and three different African nations. I know it's gone to Nigeria and Morocco and places like that. Like, And Australia is bigger. And I've started to see more influx from Spain and South Korea where it's like internationally speaking, there is a difference. I mean, yes, there's clearly racism and all that wonderful bullshit in other parts of the country and parts of the world too. But it's a slightly different thing that they're more willing to do business with us Mm -hmm. and, and not have as much of the silly hangups as they seem to have in this country, which is, it just blows my mind on some of those yeah. things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, but I, I love it. I mean, and, and that's a whole other thing, like intercultural business and, you know, international business. It's, you have to learn the different etiquette and things like that of each unique culture. So that's been interesting, but I love it. I mean, I think that's one of my favorite things about being a business owner is having friends all over the world and clients all over the world. It's really cool
0: when you came up with James and Park, what did you envision?
1: Yeah, I I just envisioned a marketing agency, to be honest with you. just a, I always wanted to keep my business really small. Um, I was doing social media marketing and community management for the most part. So that's why what I envisioned it being. What I do now is actually a lot more video stuff than I ever imagined. I would say that's the majority of my business now is doing video, uh, video work. So it has changed a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 to be honest with you, I don't know that I ever envisioned like, you know, this huge company that I wanted to sell or anything like that. I didn't really know. I just wanted to continue working with clients and potentially scale a little bit.
0: When it comes to video, what do you feel What do you feel that people may get wrong about video? Because video is a space that is becoming very common. I mean, Mm -hmm. what in in the news media, for example, a lot of these newspapers, there was this brief amount of time for about two or three years where everybody was, we're pivoting to video and they fire a bunch of news writers and then realize that they're just bringing in a bunch of video people who (laughs) don't know fuck all about news. And now they have to go back and get the newspaper writers back in. And radio stations even are doing this for their web content. We're constantly... Mm -hmm pumping web content out. This is a podcast that ostensibly I had to promote more so on Instagram. So I had to come up with ways of dealing with video. What are some of the, what are some of the things that people might be getting wrong in terms Mm of going to video for either just terms of creating content, whether it's their primary content, supplemental content, things of that nature. What do you think people are doing right and doing wrong on these things?
1: Yeah. Well, I think one, one really very common thing that I see is People spending way, and, and maybe this hurts me, but I'm just going to be honest, people spending way too much on video, at least in the beginning, because I've seen companies spend $20,000 on one video and stick it on their website and call it a day. And that what did that really do for you? There was no plan. There was no holistic plan for that. There was no uh, money put towards budget, like ads, to actually get it out there into the world. And... A lot of times they're paying for commercials that live on the web, which people don't want to see. You, you were talking <laughs> about TikTok. What's going viral right now? It's these TikTok, these stupid dance videos. You know, those are making brands so much money just by having these real, raw, authentic cell phone videos. So that's not to say that there's not a place for professional video content. There absolutely is. But investing in one twenty thousand dollar video and sticking it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever is not—it's not the way to do it. And I see a lot of, especially bigger companies, make that mistake. And then they—they're like, "Oh, well, that that video cost us a bunch of money. It didn't perform. Didn't do anything for us. So screw video. Onto the next kind of shiny object.
0: Onto the next thing. Just yeah. as if if we don't immediately, I'll use a sports analogy. If it doesn't instantly hit a home run, then. Yep. F it, send them down, we'll do something different. And that's that's not how this works mm-hmm. at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I think just testing video first. Honestly, I'm, I teach workshops on this all the time of whip out your cell phone right now and make a video. You can do it, you don't have to be perfect. Pe- that, that's what people want to see a lot of the time. Scale, You know, test that out, see how it performs, see what questions people have for you. And then scale from there. OK, if people are liking that quick little cell phone video, then imagine what will happen if you add a professional camera and maybe somebody, a strategist like me or somebody who knows <laughs> what they're doing to help you kind of get a little bit more life out of it. So scale and,
0: and if you're someone in the podcast space and you have your podcast, the mm-hmm. Freelance Friday podcast for people in the podcast space like us, what can be done to better make more of this? I'm, I know IGTV has become a thing. Yeah. And by the way, for those listening, yes, this will show up on IGTV the way you've you seen. If you see my videos, I just take the audio and put still photos and video clips and yep. run those because yep. I and, and Stephanie talked about it with us last week is that the attention span of people is it, that that's a tricky thing, too, that you can't mm-hmm. just have these 20, 30, 40 minute videos unless you're like a gamer or something. You can't do these 20 or 30 or 40 minute videos How do people in the podcast space make the most of the video game and the video aspects?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point about attention span, especially on a platform like Instagram. People are just scrolling by, they don't wanna watch an entire podcast episode, you're right. But I do think a really kind of low hanging fruit thing that a lot of podcasters can do is just set up, if you're doing a solo episode, just set up a camera while you're recording, put it on YouTube. YouTube is a different type of platform uh, from Instagram in that long form content does work on YouTube and YouTube, as we mentioned, is also a search engine. So yeah, you might get five views on your first video the first time around, but you'll notice if you check back a year later, you're probably going to have a lot more or, you know, a year down the line and pe- your channel starts to kind of pop off, people are going to come back to older content so it's a content repository it's a search engine so I definitely that's a really easy thing for people to do just set up a quick camera record while you're podcasting and then I agree it's about distribution from there you know using those snippets on different channels on Instagram on LinkedIn on the places where your ideal uh where your ideal audience is going to be also I think we don't do enough behind the scenes kind of stuff Like, uh, you know, while you're prepping to set up for this interview, sharing like, hey, this is who I'm going to be interviewing today on on your Instagram stories, uh, putting a question sticker over it and saying, what questions do you have for this person? Or, you know, being interactive with your audience as well and sharing some kind of behind the scenes stuff is a great way to make the most of video, too.
0: What has it been like for you in the podcast space?
1: It's been good. I mean, so this is a, a question I often get or an answer I usually give rather is I don't check my numbers on podcasting. So I really can't speak to it from that way. I started my podcast and it was like, I need something (laughs) that I do not (laughs) need to obsess over and uh, be competitive about. So podcasting, I wanted to be a resource for the community and I wanted to have fun with it. So I don't look at my metrics. I have no idea how many downloads I get. I don't monetize my show. Uh, I just, uh, I love it because of that. I think it's like still very pure for me and it's not all about this big money making thing.
0: You're not just trying to simply drive, drive up revenue with just this one because you've got so many other things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and with that said, no, I don't monetize my podcast. Like I don't sell ad space or anything on it, but it definitely has helped me increase my company's revenue by far. I mean, I grew my coaching business really from the podcast. I mean, I would say a good majority of my coaching clients or clients who have joined like my masterminds or group programs and things like that, they are podcast listeners. So while I don't have actual data to back that up, you know, I have anecdotal data, I guess you could say. And so it's definitely helped grow my revenue indirectly.
0: When it comes to coaching, what is it? What are some of the things you feel would, because there are people who want to coach and mm-hmm. work with these things, i slowly started doing it more so helping with podcasting and storytelling and things of that nature. For those of us who, like me, who are just kind of getting started or someone listening who might be looking into doing like career coaching or things of that nature, what are some of the things that you feel have helped you and could help them be successful in terms of what they do?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the coaching, it started from, I created a course. I was getting a ton of questions on my YouTube, which eventually turned into business entrepreneurship tips, things like that. I was getting a ton of questions on YouTube, really in-depth stuff, like how do I, you know, get a, how do I ask for a client's password and log into their social media accounts? Like a very boring YouTube videos is what they would be. <laughs> um, so I created a course and that really kind of launched the podcast and the coaching business is it really grew off of the course. So I never wanted to call myself a coach. I still kind of really don't call myself that, to be honest with you, because I think there are a lot of negative associations with that word. Unfortunately, in today's day and age, there's a lot of scammy coaches out there. I've dealt with them. I've been like preyed upon by them. Uh, So I never wanted to be like that. It really came from people asking and me responding to them. Uh, I was essentially, I don't like to say forced, but essentially forced into being a coach because people <laughs> were asking so many questions and, it, and it offered comes, me their money.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, that always helps. And right. it, it, when it, comes, it comes from being as good as you are. <laughs> that's the best assessment of it. When you're that good, people are gonna come looking for advice.
1: Yeah, but I, but I think that's important. I think it's important to not, again, I, it's hard because you do have to think about the money. I understand we all have to live. But you can, especially when you're doing something like coaching where you're really trying to help people, you can't be looking at it as this big money-making scheme. You have to really start by helping people first. And if you're a genuine person who they're seeing results from you for free or from a really low-priced you know, $55 course, imagine what you're going to do if they get direct access to you for three months. You know, and that's kind of how I've always modeled my business. I don't go after a ton of people. It's all from people coming to me and wanting to work with me.
0: That's the word of mouth. Mm-hmm. That, that sort of thing travels, that, that travels in two ways. You're either really good or you're really bad and the word's <laughs> gonna travel one way or the other. In your case, you're really good. And it's, I've seen that just from the stuff you've done. I've, I've checked out your videos. You have a way of getting people's attention and that's not always easy. In in these spaces of trying to, I've I've seen that firsthand myself, or it's a little, it's not as easy as people think trying to get, get one to listen to you in terms of not just coaching, but freelancing in general. If somebody is listening to this and freelancing, I got a lot of freelance journalists in my circle, for example, for people who are freelancing, what are, what are a couple of things that as a freelancer, you want to, if you're going into this, a, what to expect, and B, what, to, how to kind of handle some of the pitfalls that come from from the freelance life.
1: I would say a good 80 to 90 percent of issues I hear about freelancers talk about could be remedied by having a contract. <laughs> so, <laughs> so paper. yes, so have a contract for everything you do. whenever you can. There are a couple of people I always recommend you talk to when you decide to start freelancing. And one of them is an accountant. One of them is a lawyer, just setting up time. It doesn't have to cost you hundreds and thousands of dollars. You can set aside a time, you know, an hour with a lawyer to look over a contract that you have, or just get a feel for what you're doing, uh, because that will help you so much. I have knock on wood. (laughs) <laughs> never not gotten paid. I've I've not gotten paid for a long time, you know, months later than I should have, but I've always gotten my money because I've always been, had a contract.
0: You've, you've never been fully stiffed. It's just yes. that they took their sweet ass sweet time, time getting it to you. But it's, yes. the, it, it's the, I, I've had to chase a few people about invoices before as a freelance writer. I, I I'll be honest with you. I despised freelance life because mm-hmm. of the lack of control of my money. When they paid you, it was great, but you just never knew it was coming. And some yeah. of that, unfortunately, is just the company and how they how they act. If someone is coming slow with with their money, with your money, how, how have you handled that before?
1: Yeah. So it's about being persistent. I will send. Well, one, I use an invoicing system. It's called Wave. It's free to use. It's great. And. Uh, And you can actually schedule reminders to go out three days after it's due, seven days after it's due, whatever, however, you know, whatever frequency you want. And I keep them going. You can also do manual ones too. So if you want to send (laughs) one every day, you can. Uh, So yeah, I'm not shy about being consistent or, you know, yeah, consistent with asking for my money. I also, you know, I don't want to, I always hate when freelancers talk about this, about clients, like they're these, scary, evil people or something because I'm so grateful for the clients I work with and I want my clients to be satisfied as well. So if there is maybe a reason that, you know, I I like to have a conversation with them. If there's a reason that they weren't satisfied with the work or obviously they still have to pay me, but maybe I can fix something. Maybe I can go back and redo something or, you know, if there's some miscommunication there, whatever it is, I also like to be a human first. So I will reach out to my clients as well. Personally, just being there, being supportive coming at, at them like a business owner um, and just trying to get a feel for where they're at. Also, you know, I work with, especially in my coaching business, I work with a lot of people who are building new businesses and who are, you know, maybe kind of struggling to get by themselves. So I don't ever want them to feel like they can't come to me if they're, they're dealing with a client who paid them late. Just tell me, like, just give me a heads up. Communication solves so many problems. So I, I never want it to be like this aggressive, you know, thing that they can't talk to me.
0: So amidst everything else you do, how do you manage to kind of keep yourself somewhat together when you're not always on business? There's gotta be points where you just kind of need time to decompress and step away from all this. How does someone as driven as you decompress? Mm,
1: Yeah, well, this year my motto is fun, have more fun, I've really been trying to do that because I I think I've really struggled and and I think we all do, I I mean, struggle with work-life balance, like what is that in today's day and age? Uh, But I've definitely struggled with it a lot in the past and this year I've just really been forcing myself to have fun, so just setting little routines, whether it's, okay, Friday night is movie night and we're going to watch a movie, whether (laughs) I have a pile of work to do or not, this is what we're doing. Or one of my best friends and I, he also is a freelancer. We co-work together once a week. So we at least even if we're working, we at least spend time with one another. Um, I force myself to go out and just like, enjoy the little things, go out and get lunch by myself or go outside a, a novel concept. I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's overrated yeah. <laughs> outdoors.
1: Yeah. So I really, I re- you really have to schedule it in though. I mean, I, that's how I am at least. Cause if I don't put it down on my calendar, if I don't have these kind of, commitments to myself or to other people, I won't do it. So having those little bits of time in your week or in your day really add up. And then of course, the bigger things like traveling, I love to travel. Uh, That's one of my favorite ways to just literally get away from it all. Um, But obviously that doesn't happen all the time. So yeah, doing what you can in the day to day.
0: So I guess my my last question is we've been at this for almost an hour, which is kind of hard to believe. It's just flown by there's a star tattoo i noticed you have oh
1: my gosh yeah <laughs>
0: what is there like a meaning behind that or is oh. it just like you did when you were younger well, well what is the meaning of the star
1: oh uh, uh, that that thing no so <laughs> uh, so i i have multiple tattoos um i wanted to get a tattoo for every place that i lived so my first tattoo is actually on my back it's the dc state flag or the D.C. flag? They're not a state.
0: They're not a state. No, no <laughs> rep- representation without te- or taxation without representation, unfortunately in D.C.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it actually looks pretty cool. Um, yeah, the star in my hand is supposed to be Kalamazoo, my hometown. So if you're not from Michigan, again, it's a it's a mitten, and the star is approximately where Kalamazoo would be located on a map. However, this is a little bit more like Niles. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think mean, a little bit I, of that stars on the Indiana border. It's like, it's yeah. Perfect.
1: Yeah. So it's okay. You know, uh, yeah, I got it when I was 18. Uh, we got the, my friend got the tattoo shop to stay open late for us. It was like this very punk rock thing. Uh, really, I wouldn't say regret it, but I would have vetted the tattooer a little bit better. Also, it was a Me Too moment at that tattoo shop, but we won't get it. That's another
0: one for another That's conversation for off air. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so it was an interesting time, but I mean, I've thought about like, should I laser this thing off? But it's a part of me now, you know, it's, it is what it is. And I'll, also one of my favorite freelance stories is one of my early clients emailed me after seeing me on a video and she, she started the email with, I love your hand tattoo. And I was like, you know what? That's why I know I'm in the right industry.
0: It's t- it jumped out to me. And <laughs> anybody who's seen the, the cover art to this, to this particular episode, that's why there's a star in the circle, it, yes. it all it all comes back around. Tell people where they can find you because you have a wealth of knowledge. Plus, anybody who wants to book you, hire you, how can people get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, so everything is at latashajames.com That's my website. You can find my YouTube from there, which is just Latasha James. If you want to search for me on YouTube, my podcast, all that stuff, um, on Instagram, Twitter, all my social channels. I'm the Latasha James. And then if you want to actually work with me for marketing, video work, anything like that, it's jamesandpark.com. Well,
0: Latasha, James, I know you, you've you got so much going on, but I, I've been really looking forward to doing this and talking with you. All the information she just gave, by the way, will be in the description of this podcast as well. So that will be out there also. Put it in the description when, this, when part of this interview goes up on YouTube as well. So we can make sure anybody who wants to work with Latasha, we're going to make sure that can happen for you. It's awesome to talk to you. And as always, it's great to see someone in my city. Because I tell people I miss Detroit every every day. I miss okay. home every day. And I try to get back as often as I can. But to see someone in my city, kind of adopt my city, and do so well there, it makes me happy. And plus, you're a hell of a good person. And there's, there's so much, there's just so much there for you in the future and hell, I consider it a privilege to be able to talk to you. Latasha James, thank you so much for coming on J Scott confidential and for joining us for episode 109 of this, of, of this podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: And there you have it. Another one in the damn books, episode 109 for your ass. I want to thank Latasha James once again if you want to get in contact with Latasha James about that business, you can check out latasha You can follow her at the Latasha James all over social media on, on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. She is the Latasha James, all one word. If you want to learn more about James and Park, her company, go to Jamesandpark.com and figure out ways you can do business with Miss Latasha James. I want to thank each and every one of y'all who support this show over and over again for the last four years as we're getting close to the four year anniversary of this here podcast and episode 110 110 is up next next week and I want to thank y'all again I thank y'all all all the time because of all the things we've gone through, all the changes, all the craziness, all the bullshit, everything else since 2016. So many of y'all have ridden with me, ridden with this podcast, Ben Ryder dies. Don't forget, of course, to hit me up if you if for anything, whether you're trying to get that podcast of yours off the ground, Amazon.com slash shop slash Scott Smith. You can also hit me up at JSCradio at gmail.com to book me for speaking engagements, voiceovers, or anything else that you might need as well we're constantly working to build guests we're constantly working to keep pushing this thing out there and what and pretty much the most important thing is we're continuing to tell people stories and that's what we're going to keep doing in episode 110 my name is jay scott smith telling you to take care of yourself god bless always dare to be different always have your pet spayed or neutered remember to adopt don't shop and we are out of here Until next time, for another Landmark, episode 110, goodbye, everybody. You're listening to The People's Podcast. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. This is JSC Radio. This is a presentation of JSC Media. I heard on the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online for like a year. She couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand.
1: I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head.
0: She killed herself.
1: And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought
0: to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council.